Hey everyone, welcome to Embers in the Dark, a podcast that seeks to open up scripture as God's revealed word and um, seek truth, understand truth as he's revealed it, and then apply it to our lives. We'll have sermons and conversations and and a few other different things that just seek to open up and expound on God's word, uh, and again, just to, to bring it into application into our lives. Enjoy. John chapter 3. Um, this may sound weird, but I'll work with the audience, and, and we're going to look at something a little more deeper, um, especially than Christmas Eve, which is more evangelistic in nature. But we're going to look at regeneration today. So John chapter 3. We'll stick with what's in the bulletin, which is the normal Christian life, which is regeneration, justification, and sanctification. Those are $5 words that uh, I hope to explain by the end. Regeneration, justification, and sanctification. So, John chapter 3. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us, that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. Help us know you, Lord, as we open up your word, speak to us, enlighten us, teach us, reveal yourself to us more and more through that word. So we just pray um, for your blessing, Lord, upon us as we seek to know you. In Jesus' precious name and for his sake, amen. So open up to John chapter 3. Uh, We'll be in verses 1 to 21, and what I'll do is I'll I'll look at first, we'll look at verses 1 to 15, and then we'll look at the section 14 to 18, and then we'll look at uh, 19 to 21, or thereabouts. And so today we're going to be looking at regeneration, and the results of regeneration, which are justification and sanctification. We'll have two points. The first is, what is regeneration? And then the second point, which will be our application, is, what is the result of regeneration. Again, the first, what is regeneration? And we'll speak of the doctrine of regeneration. And then second, what is the result of regeneration? I'm using regeneration, which is a biblical word, but I'm using it almost as a suitcase word. The term regeneration, especially in theological understanding, is is a suitcase word where it means a lot of different things. And what we're, not a lot of different things, but it, it basically, it's like, a word that holds all of these other things in it. And regeneration means many things. And so I'll be using the word regeneration to refer to what scripture says is renewal or restoration or recreation, or as we'll see here in John three, the new birth. Jesus says, as we'll see here in John three, Jesus says a few things about what it means to be born again. And using the word word regeneration is easier than just saying all of those things every time. Again, it's a suitcase word. So what I hope by the end of this is that we will understand regeneration to mean being born again or born from above or born from the spirit, that they mean the same thing. And some of you may know this, but um, just bear with me as I lay some groundwork. So John chapter 3, we'll start with verses 1 to 15 and, uh, and a bit of the context. It's John 3, 1 to 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him and said, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus under cover of night. Nicodemus is part of the Sanhedrin which is the ruling council of the Jews. So Nicodemus is up there within within the sect of the Pharisees, within the Jewish religious scene. He comes to Jesus to question him, and he actually pays Jesus a bit of a compliment. And he's not sarcastic, he's genuine, but he pays Jesus a compliment. Here's this ruler of the Jews, a guy high up on the religious ladder, coming at night, no less, to this carpenter or this carpenter's son, and calls him rabbi, calls him teacher. So here's this teacher of the Jews who comes to this carpenter's son, not a teacher of the Jews, and he calls him teacher. He says, we know that you are from God, that you have been sent by God because we've seen what you've done and no one can do these things unless they are sent by God. So God must be with you. He's basically saying to Jesus, Jesus, there are some of us who don't want to kill you. There are some of us who believe that you are from God. There are some of us who do believe and want to believe, but we do not understand what you're going on about. We want to trust you. We want to come to you. We want to trust you. But what are you really saying? Nicodemus is saying, what's really going on here? And so Jesus says, thank you, kind sir. You're so nice. You're so wise. I'm so thankful that you believe. Just believe in me. And in a a little bit, when I go and die on the cross, just look at me and believe and and everything will be fine. Accept me into your heart. That's what Jesus says. No, he he doesn't say that. He does not say, just accept me into your heart and you'll have a cushy ride into paradise. He doesn't say anything like that. What Jesus actually says is, Nicodemus, you think you see and you think you know, but you do not. You think you've got it figured out. You're coming to me at night, calling me teacher, saying all of these things. You think you've got it, but you don't get it. And the reason is because you can't. And you won't unless you are born again. You think you've got it, but you don't. And you won't unless you are born again, born from above. 
And so, again, we go back to Nicodemus, and his response is, it's probably not sarcastic. I would say it's rhetorical. It's like, that doesn't make sense, Jesus. How can, how can I be born again? Can I go back into my mother's womb? Like, I can't, obviously. That doesn't make sense. So what are you actually talking about? I don't understand what you're saying. And so, again, Jesus comes back to him, and, and again, he doesn't offer him an explanation. He just says the same thing again. Truly, truly, verily, verily, amen, amen, I say to you, you can't understand, you can't know, you can't enter the kingdom without passing through this first gate. And that first gate is, you must be born again. But he expands on it a little bit. He says, you must be born again. You must be born from above. You must be born of the spirit. You must be born of God. The flesh, as he says, it is the flesh that gives birth to flesh. It is only the spirit that can give birth to spirit. What is Jesus' point? Jesus' point is that even Nicodemus, a Hebrew, a Pharisee, a teacher of the Old Testament, someone who goes to synagogue every Saturday and teaches in the synagogue, even Nicodemus needs to be born again, born of the spirit, born from above in order to understand and see and enter the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying. He needs to be regenerated. He needs to have a work of God done in his heart and mind and soul so that he can see. Because he can't even understand earthly things. And if he doesn't understand earthly things, how is he going to understand heavenly things? This then is the context. Nicodemus, a Jew, one of God's own people, a child of Abraham, an Israelite teacher, had to be born again of God's spirit in order to see and enter and understand the kingdom of God. Nicodemus had to be born of the spirit, not just of the flesh. And so this is what it means to be born again, to be born of God. And this is regeneration. So then what is regeneration other than born again? Well, let's look at just quickly. Let's look at Titus chapter three, verses four to seven. I'll read it, and it's verse 5 that we're focusing on, but I'll read 4 to 7 just for the context. So Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration, by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And this is regeneration, renewal, washing of the Holy Spirit, cleansing, recreation. Regeneration is being born of the Holy Spirit, being regenerated. What does it mean, though? Well, if you've been with us for a while, you're familiar with Ezekiel 26 and even Jeremiah 31, because we talk about that a lot. But here's Ezekiel 36, verses 24 to 27. Again, remember the context. It's Nicodemus, a teacher of the Jews, the one who knows the Old Testament, front and back, inside out. He knows the Old Testament. He knows what the new covenant is that is coming, which is Ezekiel 36, verses 24 to 27. God says, I will take you from among the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. 
And from your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's that last verse, verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What then is regeneration? It is this very thing. It is God sprinkling us with clean water and cleansing us, giving us a new heart, putting a new spirit within us. But it's not even just that. It's him removing the hard heart and giving us a soft heart. It is him saying, I will put my spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you. What we'll look at is the result of that. But let's just, let's just briefly summarize. First, regeneration is being made alive. Exactly what Jesus is saying here in John 3. Regeneration is being made alive, being born again, born from above, born of the spirit in line with exactly what he has promised in the Old Testament. I will take the heart of stone out of you and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, just briefly. Again, I'll just read it, kind of emphasize some of the things that, that Paul is saying there. Ephesians chapter 2. And you, you, me, not just the church in Ephesus that Paul is talking to, but you and me. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You, among whom, you, we all, you and me, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, not sleeping, not, you know, just kind of comatose even. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we once walked, going back to verse 1, even when we were dead, God made us alive together with Christ, it is by grace you have been saved. Regeneration is being made alive from the dead, being born again from the dead, not entering into the, in your mother's womb a second time, but having the Spirit of God quicken you. That's the King, old King James language. It is God that quickeneth us. God quickens us. That's what it means to be made alive from the dead. Regeneration. Second, then, regeneration is, along the same lines, regeneration is being made into a new creation. We go to 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. Paul says some pretty massive things there. We won't unpack it. We'll just read it. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul says, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is he saying there? What he is saying is that the same God who created the universe by speaking, who created light by speaking, has done the same thing in you. He has created you new 
by his spirit, giving you the knowledge of Jesus Christ by speaking. You are a new creation. That is what God has done if you are a Christian. In the same way that he spoke the universe into creation, he has spoke your spirit from death into life. And then he says this in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are a new creation. Regeneration then is to be born again. Again, new birth from death. We are dead and must be born again. This brings us to just a brief subpoint: Why do we need to be regenerated? We know that we're dead, but what does it mean to be dead? Why do we need to be born from above? We know that we are dead, but why? Well, the answer is, depending on the circles you run in, it would be called original sin, total depravity, radical corruption. However else you want to label it, what the Bible tells us about ourselves is that sin runs rampant through our entire being. Radical corruption. We're not as bad as we could be, but everything is tainted by sin because of Adam. You see this in Romans 5. So why do we need regeneration? Well, the Bible teaches us that all are under sin. None are born innocent. Here's Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 12, and then verse 23. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, the Jews are not better off than the Gentiles. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, no, not even one. And then verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Going back to Ephesians 2, what do we see? You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked by nature. By your nature, you are children of wrath. By nature, we are children of wrath. Let's go a little deeper. Here's Isaiah 64, verses 6 to 7. We, again, we have all become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, no one who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. That's radical corruption. Even though we do good, all of our goodness, all of our good deeds, all of our righteous acts, apart from Christ, I'll clarify that, apart from Christ, all of our righteous deeds are a polluted garment, useless. And the context here of the Hebrew, that polluted garment is actually a menstrual rag to make it really graphic. That's what, that's what Isaiah is saying here in chapter 64. That is what our righteous deeds look like, apart from Christ. This is a bleak picture, a bleak picture of human nature. And as a quick aside, when you look at the world, what the world tells us is we are good. What the world tells us is that we are innocent. What the world tells us is that we can do anything we want and that we are good, innocent people. But what scripture gives is a very, very bleak image of human nature apart from 
God's work of regeneration. It is a bleak picture. And this is why it is God who must make us alive. And according to 1 Peter chapter 1, cause us to be born again. Because we are dead. This is why God must recreate us. This is why God must renew us, restore us, regenerate us. Because we are dead. The spiritually dead must be made spiritually alive. God needs to bring us to life because we can't do it. We can't bring ourselves to life from the dead. We cannot breathe God's breath into our souls. God must regenerate it. And this is why Jesus says, going back to John 3 and verses 6 to 7, that's why he says humans can reproduce only human life. The spirit gives birth to spirit, but the flesh gives birth to flesh. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Don't be surprised, don't be amazed then that I say to you, you have to be born again. Don't be amazed at this. He says the same thing in John 6, 63. He says, it is only the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The flesh cannot bring you to belief. Only the spirit can. What am I saying here? What is Jesus saying here? What is, he, what is the scripture telling us? It is that you are spiritually dead, and in order to see the kingdom and understand the kingdom and enter the kingdom, God must breathe life into you by his spirit. God opens your eyes. God softens your heart. God shines his light into your heart and mind. God breathes his life into you. God makes you new. This is regeneration. If we go back to the Old Testament, another brief aside, if we go back to the Old Testament, we look at Ezekiel 36 and the promise of the new covenant. The chapter that comes after Ezekiel 36 is, you guessed it, 37. And in Ezekiel 37, we have the image of regeneration. It's the valley of dry bones. God reanimating those bones, putting flesh on them, and breathing his spirit into them to give them life. And this is the image of regeneration. God taking us, bleached white bones, putting them back together, putting flesh on us, and then putting his spirit in us, his breath in us, breathing life into us. Let's go to our application. Then. Our application, justification and sanctification. So we move from regeneration into justification, which is passive, and then sanctification, which is active. So first, justification. Let's look at John chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So the first movement that happens with regeneration, when God makes you alive, the first movement is justification. It is the movement of your whole person from condemnation, which is what we see here, from being condemned to death and hell to 
justification, to being declared just and approved in God's eyes. Simply put, justification is paperwork in heaven. Your justification is your paperwork in heaven. Pilgrim's Progress, we see something like this. When Pilgrim reaches a certain point, he gets a scroll that he holds on to, and he's supposed to present it to the Lord of the land when he gets there. It's basically just paperwork in heaven. It is passive. When God brings you to life from, from the dead, you are, in that moment, also justified. One really good analogy or illustration is the courtroom, where you've got the judge in the, in the judgment seat, and the guilty party walks in, Guilty, and the judge is going to pronounce the the, uh, the pronouncement of death on you. He's going to say you are guilty. You deserve death. I'm going to send you there. And then all of a sudden, there's one person, the mediator, who stands up and says, "I will pay that price. I will pay the price of death for this person. I will take my righteous life and give it to them, my unguilty, innocent life, and give it to them. And I will take their sin upon me and their death upon me." That's the great exchange. That's justification. Being right in God's eyes because of the blood of Christ, because of the work of Christ in his life and his death and his resurrection. Justification. So regeneration moves you from a place of condemnation to a place of absolution. From a place of guilt to a place of innocence. Why is that? How do we, how do we look at that? Well, as we've seen, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. We are all by nature children of wrath. We are living in condemnation. We are not born innocent. If you were to put a line and say everybody who was born is somewhere on that line, heaven is up here and hell is down here, most of the world will say, ah, we're, we're all born innocent. We're all up here. Or you'd have somebody like Pelagius, who was a heretic in the, in the third and fourth centuries, who will say, we're all born on the line, and then what we do can either send us to heaven or hell. But again, what scripture teaches us, not what the world teaches us, but what scripture teaches us is that we're all born down here. We are all born down here, condemned to death and hell because of Adam, because of our sinful nature, because of our radical corruption. We're all born there. We're not born on the line. We're not born above the line. We're born under the line. And as Jesus himself says here in John chapter 3, Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed. So belief, regeneration, and belief in Christ moves you from a place of condemnation to a place of justification. Belief in Christ moves you from condemnation to justification. Whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever believes is not condemned. However, Whoever does not believe is condemned already. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. Again, there are so many errors that come from this. When we have a poor understanding of theology and we think that everyone is either born innocent or born somewhere above that line of condemnation. But we have to remember that all are under sin, all are guilty, and none are born innocent. Even we as Christians, as those regenerated, as those born again by the Spirit of God, we're at one time under the wrath of God. Under the wrath of God, dead in trespasses and sins. All are under condemnation. And what happens is that those who are regenerated 
are moved from condemnation to justification, from death to life. Those who are not regenerated, not born again, not born from above, not born by the Spirit, remain in that condemnation. As difficult as that is to comprehend with our brains, especially that have been steeped in the world's culture, as difficult as that is, that is what Jesus is saying. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed. We see in 1 John 5.12 the same thing. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. We're not going to go there, but at the end of this chapter, in verse 36, if you look at John 3.36, again, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. This is John the Baptist speaking. But whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Difficult to hear. The wrath of God remains on those who do not believe. Remains is the key word there. Remains on them who do not believe. What we are reading in John 3 is that those who do not believe are already condemned. They remain in that condemnation, while those who are born again, those who believe, come out of that condemnation, are moved from that condemnation into justification, are moved from death to life. When you are born again of God, born from above, born of the Spirit, you move by God's righteous and just judgment in the courtroom, because of the mediatory blood of Christ, you are moved by God from a place of condemnation to a place of justification. You are declared just, not guilty, in the eyes of God because of your belief in Christ and his atoning work. Let's finish with the practical result of regeneration, one in which we are actually to take an active part. And that is, again, sanctification. So regeneration, being born from above, at the same time we are then justified, justification, moved from condemnation to a place of justification. We are declared right in God's eyes. And then we move to sanctification. And sanctification is one of those things that is, uh, is difficult to understand if we think of it as something that only happens once or something that happens later. Sanctification is... Instant, but it also is also progressive. It's like saying you are saved, and you are being saved, and you will be saved. When we are regenerated, we are sanctified, made clean. However, we are also going to be sanctified through our life. And when we finally stand before the Lord and, and go before him and, and spend eternity with him in heaven, we will also then be sanctified. So you are sanctified, you will be sanctified, and you are being sanctified, and you will be sanctified. Read John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. This is then the judgment. The light has come into the world. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true, comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Whoever does wicked things hates the light. Whoever does what is true comes to the light, 
Being born again, being regenerated, born from above, means that your attitudes have changed. Your desires have changed. Your mindset has changed. It has changed to reflect God's attitudes and God's desires. Not all at once, not perfectly, but there has been a change in your insides that has also changed your outsides. Let me say that again. There's been a change in your insides that has also therefore changed your outsides. Before, there was death and decay that only produced rotten fruit. Isaiah 64, Ephesians 2. Now, however, there is life which produces good fruit. Before, there was hiding in the dark because your deeds were evil, but now there's living in the light because your deeds are true. God's light, not the light of the world, but God's light. This is uh, captured well with Paul in Galatians 5 when he talks about spiritual fruit, fruit of the Spirit. There's the works of the flesh, and there's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. It's proof that the Spirit of God lives in you, that you have all of these things happening. Whereas the other things, the works of the flesh, are proof that God's Spirit does not work in you because this is how you live. We won't look at that, but what we'll look, like, what we'll look at is, is a little more sanctification. So what then separates someone who is condemned from someone who is not condemned? What is Jesus saying here? Well, there is, or at least there should be, a massive difference between a child of the darkness and a child of light. There should be a massive difference between somebody who is in Christ and somebody who is not in Christ because they have God's Holy Spirit in them. There should be a massive difference. And this is sanctification. So Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt. Corrupt. Put off your old self, which is corrupt through deceitful desires. Rather, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What Paul is saying is, If you find yourself as a Christian in some manner of sin, remember you have been born again and put off that old corrupt garbage. Just stop and put on the new self, which is what you're supposed to be living. Put off the old that you are no longer supposed to be living in, the corruption of that, and put on the new. Stop living that way. Stop it is what he's really saying. Smarten up. Be renewed in your mind and put off the old and put on the new. He says the same thing in Colossians chapter 3. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You, being born again by the Spirit of God, recreated, put on that new self, created after the likeness of God, instead of living in the old self, which is corrupt. Live in the truth of Ezekiel 36. Live in the truth of being sprinkled clean with clean water, of having a new heart, of having a new spirit, of having your hard heart removed and having a heart of flesh put in you. Live in the reality of having God's spirit in you. Being born again, being regenerated means that there has been a change in your insides that has changed your outsides. The consequence of being born from above is the results of being born of the Spirit of God. Again, going to Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. 
going to Ezekiel 36 and seeing that when God puts his spirit in you, he also puts in you a desire to follow his statutes and obey his laws. It is not something we say, ah, I don't, you know, I, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be doing this, you know, this is probably not good. It's moving from that to saying, man, like this thing that I'm doing grieves me because I know it grieves my heavenly father. If we come to the point where we say, I know I should be reading my Bible and I know I should be doing these things and I know I should be doing all these things, what we need is not a kick in the pants. What we need is the gospel. What we need is God's spirit to regenerate us. What we have a lot of the times is people who have false conversions. People who are saying, well, I don't, you know, I don't really want to go to church. I don't really want to read my Bible. I don't really want to do these things. I don't really have a love for the Lord and a desire for these things, but I'm a Christian, so maybe I should, you know, pick myself up on my bootstraps and kind of progress that way. What we see in a lot of that is that people who aren't actually born again by the Spirit of God, which is true Christianity. What we have is a seeker-sensitive movement that says, just pray this prayer and say these things, and you're a Christian, and you've got your ticket to heaven. That's against what we're reading here in John chapter 3. Being born again, regenerated, means that there's been a change in your insides that has changed your outsides. It's a new, it's a new branch on the tree, giving out good fruit. Thorns do not grow from thistles, grapes do, and figs. Figs do not grow from thistles, and uh, Figs do not grow from thistles and, and grapes do not grow from thorns. I'm trying to pull Matthew 5 out of my brain. Um, a, a good tree produces good fruit. That's what's really happening here. That's what sanctification is. God changing your insides in such a way that your insides are then being worked out and you are bearing good fruit rather than corrupt fruit. There's a quote from R.C. Sproul. The Christian life begins at conversion, but it does not end where it begins. It grows. It moves from faith to faith, from grace to grace, from life to life. This movement of growth is prodded by continual seeking after God. If you are born again by the Spirit of God, that quote ended, this is me now. If you are born again by the Spirit of God, you are going to desire God. You're going to seek after God. You're going to seek Christ. You're going to seek sanctification. You're going to seek growth. You're going to read. You're going to desire him in some way. Regeneration, justification, sanctification. This is what it means to be a Christian, to be born again. This is the normal Christian life. To move by God's spirit at work in you from death to life. And to move from God's spirit at work in you from sin and corruption to righteousness. And to move by God's spirit at work in you from wrath to blessing. To have his face shine upon you in blessing. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it cuts us asunder. And even in the midst of the affliction that it brings, even in the midst of uh, the hard words that it brings to our, our carnal minds, we just thank you for it. Uh, teach us more and more, Lord. Bring us closer into line with your truth instead of our own. Just help us to know you more and, and uh, to love you more. 
Lord, as we face difficult times and as we are wrestling through so much, just encourage us. Lord, teach us more and more what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. For those of us who have strayed, Lord, comfort us. Help us to remember Luke 15 and the prodigal son. Help us to remember that you welcome us as sinners, as your children back with open arms. Help us to remember that, even if I have failed to say it. Lord, help us to um, see you truthfully. Continue to work in this church, uh, here, this body. Continue to work in this town. Continue to work in this, this province, in this country, in the world. Help us to see you more and more, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, and for his sake we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Embers in the Dark. Enjoy your week.